The Old Testament reading for this, the second Sunday in Lent, comes from the book of Genesis, the 17th chapter. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand. The Epistle reading, which serves as the text for a sermon this morning, comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the fifth chapter. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And this is the word of the Lord. We rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Mark, the eighth chapter. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. 
and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How often have you heard someone say something like this? That casserole she made? Oh, it was to die for. Really? Casserole is something you would be willing to give up your life for? It's kind of sad, really. But we do throw that phrase around pretty casually, don't we? That dress she was wearing, it was to die for. French fries from Five Guys, oh, to die for. The smooth sand on the beach just north of here, oh, it's to die for. Now, we know that that expression is hyperbole. We know that we wouldn't actually sacrifice our life for another slice of cheesecake or a particular brand of yogurt. But it does raise an interesting question. What would you die for? What in your life is so important that you would be willing to give up your very life? Now, it's funny that the world, which is so fond of this saying, simultaneously says that it's foolish. Because if you give up your life, you can't enjoy that thing anymore. That's the kind of selfish, secular thinking that the world is trapped in. Because the world is focused inwardly. What can I gain? How would I benefit? What would I get out of making that sacrifice? Well, if we were asked, we might heroically name a few things that we would be willing to die for. Family would probably be toward the top of that list. Maybe some close, dear friends. Maybe our country. We might even include our Christian faith, especially after hearing our gospel reading today. Jesus says that to come after him, we must take up our cross. And crosses don't mean comforts and luxuries and treasures and riches. Crosses mean death. And he says that even if we lose our life for his sake and for the gospel, we will save it. We know that death is not the end because of our Christian faith, because of the grace that God has given to us, and so we think that's something worth dying for. Now, we're not eager to do it. We're not running around hoping that we get martyred. But as we watch the news, 
we realize that every day it gets to be more and more of a real possibility that we may have to face that choice. So yes, if we were asked to name some things that we would actually be willing to die for, we might actually be able to list a few. Our loved ones, our freedoms, our faith. The fact is, though, these are all things that we love. These are all things that benefit us in some way. Any of the things that we've named above, they are our treasures, the most important things in our lives. They are things that bring us joy and peace and comfort. They are things that love us in return. They're all things that we sort of feel indebted to. So if it came down to them or us, we would think back on all the good things that have come from our faith, from our family, from our friends, and we would come to the conclusion that they've done so much for us, we could give even our lives in return. That's how we decide what we'd be willing to die for, isn't it? We ask ourselves, what has benefited me? What has given me the most joy? What is so precious? What is worth so much that it now can lay claim to that highest honor that I would truly be willing to die for it? It's got to be something or someone pretty spectacular, pretty wonderful, for us to decide that we are actually willing to give our life up for it. But when we look at our epistle reading today, we notice something very interesting. That's not how Jesus decided what he was willing to die for. Jesus Christ, as Paul writes, died for us while we were still dead in our sin. When Jesus laid down his life in sacrifice upon the cross, it was not for something that had given him such wonderful things that he decided, you know what, I really owe them a little something in return. No. Jesus was not benefiting from our love because we did not love him. As sinners, we had no regard for him whatsoever, no love, nothing. We were dead in our sin. We had no concern at all for God. Jesus did not look at us and say, Wow, they're great. They've done so very much for me. They have given me so much. They're so great to me, and wow, I'm just really obligated at this point to lay down my life for them and give them a little something in return. That's not at all what happened. Paul says that Jesus died for us while we were weak, while we were sinners opposed to his word, while we were still enemies of God. His love, his sacrifice, it wasn't based on anything at all that we had given him or any merit or credit that we had earned. It was mercifully given by grace alone. Jesus looked upon us sinners who had nothing that we had done good for him and said, I am willing to die, to save them. And even after he died for us, he still gained nothing from us. We have nothing at all that we can give to Jesus because everything that we have, it's his to begin with. He does not need our love or our devotion or our faith to really be God. 
He is God simply because he is. We don't make him any better by believing in him, by worshiping him, by coming into his presence. And it's not like we became perfect once he died for us. We still sin. We still struggle with the temptations of the devil. We still, as long as we are this side of heaven, will fall into those temptations and move away from the word of the Lord. We still question God and accuse him of doing everything wrong. We still say that we don't have time for God because the world has lots of cool stuff that we would rather do. We still try to do things our own way. And then just look to him as a magical genie or an escape hatch to get us out of our self-made trouble. And then yell at him when he doesn't do it exactly the way we want him to and when we want him to. We have nothing to give to God before or after he died for us. And yet, without any worthiness or merit in us, without anything at all to gain, Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, was willing to suffer and die to reconcile us wretched sinners to himself. Paul writes here, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love that we see this season of Lent as we focus upon the cross. The cross shows us our sin. The cross shows us the staggering penalty of our guilt and our transgression, of what it takes to save us sinners. But it also shows us the love that Jesus has in paying that price in full, willingly, under no obligation whatsoever. We see the love of the cross as a truly, genuinely, fully sacrificial love. As people, we like to talk about unconditional love quite a bit. And sadly, for us, it's actually impossible. There's always a condition. There is always a point where we will say we have had enough. We simply cannot love anymore and get nothing in return. It may be much, much farther along the way for our children, for our families, for whoever it might be that we hold in high esteem, but there is always a point where we will throw up our hands and say, enough, I simply cannot do it anymore. But not God. God's love is truly unconditional. While he knew that the disciples would betray him, abandon him, deny that they even knew who he was, Still, he loved them. Still, he cared for them. Still, he died for them. While his wicked creation was mocking him, nailing him to the cross, killing him with glee, he still loved them, still prayed for their forgiveness, still gave to them the grace that his blood purchased. While the world around us denies his existence, mocks his word, rejects his love, he still loves the entire world still cries out to all people through his word, still offers the free gift of grace and salvation to all people, calling them to look to his cross and turn away from the sin that destroys them. And in our own wretched lives, while we ignore God's word, abuse his gifts, refuse to stand up for his name in public, still he loves us, still he calls us his own, still he cleanses us of all of our sin. For all of this, he gains nothing.
but heartache and pain. But we, we gain absolutely everything from his sacrificial, unconditional love. We are reconciled to him, made right with God, restored as his children, even though we have no right to be. Our sin is washed away completely as if it never happened. We are justified by his blood, and we are saved from the wrath of God that our sin rightly deserved. All of that is given to us freely by grace through faith. Faith that God himself works in our wretched stony hearts. Faith that comes from hearing his word and not turning away from it any longer. And because of his sacrificial love, because of the faith that he has given to us, we know that we will live forever. Jesus didn't just die to set a good example of being faithful even in the face of suffering. His death paid for all of our sin. His righteous and holy blood was the only thing sufficient to pay the penalty that we had earned. Every single sin ever committed was paid by the holy blood of Jesus Christ. He has clothed us in his robe of righteousness so that when we stand before his judgment throne on the last day, we will be declared holy, innocent, and righteous, not by what we've done, not by how we've changed our lives, but by the blood of Jesus Christ washing us clean. This body will fall asleep in the death because of sin, but this same body will rise again to eternal life because of God's grace. God died for the ungodly, so that we could enter into his eternal kingdom of heaven to live with him forever, basking in his unending, overwhelming love that we didn't deserve, but he gave to us so freely. That's why we want everyone around us to know about him. That's why we tell absolutely everyone about his sacrificial love that spares us from sin, death, and the devil. We ourselves, we might write people off, We might say they're unlovable. They're a lost cause since they haven't been to church for so many years. We might say they're really not worth our time or our breath. But God doesn't. And they're no different from us. We were unlovable, lost, wretched sinners who weren't at all worth God's time or love. Still today, we are still sinners, still undeserving of any of the good gifts that God gives to us. But we have been changed by his grace. And if we can be changed, anyone can be changed. Jesus Christ's love, it is for all. Because we are all sinners in desperate need of salvation. And he has given the cross and the empty tomb, the one way to heaven. He has opened that gate for all people. All those who look to him in faith will be saved, will be cleansed of their guilt, will be made a new creation in him. We were in desperate need of salvation, so that's what Jesus gave us. Knowing that we could never repay him, knowing that we would so often abuse and neglect his precious gift even after he gave it, still he makes us his own, loving us enough to truly die for sinners like us. Ask yourself what you'd be willing to die for. You might be able to name a few people you really love. People you'd be willing to say, take me instead. But ask God what he is willing to die for. And his answer 
is you. Though you are unlovable, though you have nothing to give in return, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for you. And through that death, through that sacrificial, unconditional love, you are given life. Life that will never end because you have been made a child of God. You have been given that precious and undeserved love of Jesus Christ. You have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.